Today, as we record this, is the day we found out that he passed away. He's very young. Looks like he had a, a massive career ahead of him. And I was excited for Black Panther 2 and just everything else he had to go for him. So, What he did for putting a black hero on screen, that there's going to be so many young black children who will have had that as their sort of first you know, big cinema experience. It's just a real shock and a, a real loss for someone so young. To lose one who's so energetic, so powerful, and speaks so eloquently on the black story, I think that is a massive loss. Hey everyone, and welcome to this episode of Flitzwatch Podcast. I'm joined by Esther. Hey. Jas. Hey. And Helen. Hello. And we're going to be talking about the Spike Lee classic. Is it a classic? Black Klansman. Thank you, as always, to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello film fans, joining Flixwatcher remotely today we have Jazz and Esther. If you would like to say hello to our listeners and tell them a little bit more about who you are and what you do please. Okay, so we are the Well-Spoken Tokens. We've got a podcast about being people of colour and marginalised voices in specifically like galleries, libraries, archives, museums, but also the cultural sector in general. Um, And we do talk about pop culture and how sort of representation is really important, um, about how we see the world and things we interact with. So that's, yeah, a little summary of who we are as a podcasting team. Um, and, your, and your podcast is quite new, isn't it? Can you tell us how, how you um, came about the idea and and what happens in an episode? Um, I, well, we came about the idea because um, I have a need to shout into a void <laughs> about my anger. Um, and then people actually started listening to it. <laughs> um, but that's how it came about. Uh, and what we do is we have a theme every week. Um, we have a guest on. Um, we discuss... So they tend to be um, either researching or a professional about the about the theme that we're discussing. So um, one that's just come out um, or would have come out a few weeks ago once this podcast goes out is about disability um, in the in the glam sector, galleries, libraries, archives, and museums. Um, and we had a lovely woman called Gabrielle on, and she discussed her personal experience of being a disabled person working in the sector and her research on how we can improve it for disabled people in the sector as well. So we try and make sure that we get a vast, like really diverse array of people on who not only have personal experience of like marginalization within the sector, but also have solutions to it as well, which I think is um, really great because it means that we're not just screaming to the void we're actually screaming (laughs) suggestions at people as well things that they could do yeah we're not just whinging about stuff that happens we're also saying you know what there are people who do really good stuff let's have a look at them and maybe do things a little bit better yeah and try and big up people who are doing the hard work and we have a we have a segment called pop culture reference of the week 
where we relate everything back to a, a popular cultural reference in order to try and make it more relatable for people who might not be in the sector. Um, the first one we ever did was Black Panther, R.I.P. Chadwick, rest in power. And mm-hmm. it was the scene in the museum, the fake museum that they made up. Well, it was in the museum in London, was it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was not the British uh, Museum. <laughs> yeah, where Killmonger is being patronised by one of the people who work there. Yeah. And I think every single person of colour uh, or who has ever been patronised by a yeah. white person trying to tell them about their own culture had the same exact reaction in the cinema or anywhere that anywhere that they ended up watching the film. Um, I, I, yeah. I live in London now, I'm not from London. And I, I came out that screen and going, is there a museum of London? That's a good quick, <laughs> <laughs> that's a quick Google. There is. There is, is there a museum? Yeah, there is. Yeah, there is. My friend used to work there and okay. basically people would come up to him and, and be like, is this the British Museum? And he's like, no, you're in the wrong place. Oh, my talking about, I'm sure they made, maybe I got the name wrong for the museum they made up in Black Panther. Uh, no, I'm sure I do think one... it was called something like the Museum of London, but it wasn't the Museum of London that they filmed. It was like, as well yeah, as it was like London Museum of something. It was, it was definitely made up one, but it <laughs> okay. was very much like meant to be the British Museum. <laughs> But yeah, and that, um, we watched that together as well. Like I think one of yeah. the first time we started talking about doing the podcast, we sat down and we watched Black Panther together back in the days when we could spend time in each other's houses. Well, I mean, let's just, you, you did say rest in peace, um, Chadwick Boseman. Today, as we record this, is the day we found out that he passed away after mm-hmm. um, a number of years undergoing cancer treatment. And it's it's been a bit of a shock for everyone. Um, yeah. You know, I was absolutely gutted when I, when I, I randomly woke up like two or three o'clock in the morning, checked Twitter as I do randomly, and that was there. And I thought it was a hoax because yeah. this guy seemed in the films I'd seen him in peak physical kind of health. He's in, he's in, he's Black Panther. He's in um, Marvel movies. Looks to be smashing it. He's very young, and he looks like he had a, a massive career ahead of him. And I was excited for Black Panther two and just everything else he had to go for him. So. I don't know. This this seems like a bit more of a shock than than other people who unfortunately have uh, passed away recently. What what are you guys' thoughts? Yeah, I mean he's forty three, which is just that's like I'm forty one. So like having someone who's so close in age to me as well, like that's really and you know I love his films and you know I watched The Five Bloods just because we were going to be talking about another Spike Lee film today, mm-hmm. um, and in that you know it's. You know, he does seem really vibrant and he's got this amazing energy. So to lose one who's so energetic, so powerful and speaks so eloquently on the black story, I think that is a massive loss. And for the amount of work that he put into the promo for Black Panther, going to hospitals, speaking to black kids all over the world, like really putting all that effort in because he knew how important that portrayal was going to be to to a, a gener- generations and generations of of kids of color. Um, I just think, yeah, it's just a massive loss. Helen, any thoughts? You, you're you're a Marvelite. You you dip into Marvel, don't you, rather than uh, completist? Marvel or DC? I need to know. Oh, oh Marvel, but oh, I, I, I haven't seen Black Panther yet. I think it came out at a time when I'd been over marvelled and other things like life kind of get in the way and I didn't manage to see it at the cinema um but yeah a real just a real shock I think and also the fact that he 
didn't want to tell people about it and didn't make it a thing and never said anything at all you know the strength to do that and to carry on in public um because i was reading some other things that people had made sort of comments about various weight loss and things you know that seemed a little bit strange and he just kind of brushed them off it's just you know it's really cheesy but he kind of felt like an actual superhero in that what he did for putting a black hero on screen that there's going to be so many young black children who will have had that as their sort of first you know big cinema experience is you know how 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 are they feeling like to know today the news i just it's it's just a real shock and a a real loss for someone so young i think it's what um one thing is important that you said there, Helen, is that he, he kept it to himself as a private thing. And it reminds me of when David Bowie passed and uh, people were like, well, what, shouldn't we have known he had cancer? Like, well, you don't need to. He, he's, a, he's a private, he had a public and a private side to himself. Um, and I think that's how you how you choose to portray yourself, portray yourself is, is a very important thing. And that's part of his dignity. And I think David Bowie's dignity as well, you know. Um, yeah. It's so important though to kind of, I think voiced the opinion that even though he carried on doing what he loved and what he wanted to do when he was undergoing in between undergoing treatment, that shouldn't be the norm. Mm. Like, I mean, it's amazing that he carried on doing that, but the people who are undergoing cancer treatment and just sitting in their pajamas, listening to podcasts is also amazing. (laughs) Like there's no right way to have cancer. People can do it. However they, however they see fit. Um, so we that's a slight digression but I think a worthy one um, but we are talking today about Black Klansman which is your choice Jas um, yes. can you tell us why you chose it and give us a, a synopsis in less than a minute I chose it because I think it's hilarious I love dark humour <laughs> I think it's hilarious I love the fact that it's a true story and I just love any situation in which someone from like a traditionally marginalised background tricks someone from a traditionally not marginalised background um <laughs> So in the film, a black man uh, joins a police force in his town and he's the first black police officer um, and he decides to ring a chapter of the KKK and he puts on his white voice and he manages to get a meeting set up with the chapter of the KKK in his town and then goes to his boss and says, I've got this, got this opportunity with the right white man, we can achieve anything. And then they find a white Jewish man to pretend to be him. And they basically spend the entire film trying to make sure that they don't get caught. Nice. So how many times have you seen this then, Jess? About four or five. <laughs> why, why are you never saying that? <laughs> I don't know. Cause I, was like, I don't know if that's too much or too little. <laughs> it's on Netflix now, so... <laughs> Um, so, yeah. but you wanted to, yeah, you wanted us to watch it again. I mean, Esther, what, what were your thoughts on Black Klansman? So I remember because I watched it at the cinema. Um, I have a really cushy side hustle, and I get to see lots of films for free. So I think I might have seen it twice at the cinema. I definitely saw it at least once. I remember going in the lift to see it, and there were two people, two white people in, and they had tickets, and they were clearly going to see it. And they were like, I didn't know how to ask for the film title, and it was really 
really hilarious to me because they were like they felt really uncomfortable using the word clam um and yeah it was i think i'm i probably saw it with a predominantly white audience the first time i've seen it once i saw it yeah once or twice at the cinema and then i saw it this is the first time i've seen it since it was out at the cinema so i think that's so funny because like I always say on our podcast as well, if someone can't say the word black to describe someone, they have no black friends. But can you imagine like being someone who can't say the word black or has to whisper it and yeah. then also having to say Klansman <laughs> in the same word? It would be so good. Yeah, and apparently this was pretty common. The box office staff were saying that lots of people were kind of like, we're watching that Spike Lee film and stuff <laughs> like that. Um, so yeah, but I haven't watched it since, not for any specific reason. Um, well, there's lots of yeah, things to watch them, like, isn't there? I, I, I do enjoy some Spike Lee. I always enjoy some Spike Lee. When you told me which one you picked as well, when Jas told me, I was like, damn it, I should have picked something more political. <laughs> so I was very envious of this choice. And I was glad to revisit it. Helen, Black Klansman. Yeah, um, I saw this at the cinema Um uh, I, I can't remember what the demographic of the audience was, which I kind of wish that I did now, but it was at Brixton um, a long time ago and it was the big one, the big screen one. Mm. And it was, um, I really liked it. Um, I think it's great. I think it's funny. I think there's there's those things that we're going to talk about it. Um, well, it's talk, you've no need to hold back now. Um, so I think watching it the second time, so... There's a couple of things that Spike Lee added to it when, because obviously it's based on a book mm. and a lot of people had a few problems with the fact that the bomb plot, they made that up. Um, Patrice didn't exist, so they kind of introduced a love interest. Um, I do have a thing about Patrice, though. Patrice is the name of his of the, of the person who was actually based on it. It's the name of his now wife uh, or the person okay. that he's been with for years. So I thought that was a sweet, a sweet touch, yeah. So there was those things. And also when Spike Lee took it on, one of the things he added was the comedic moments. And those, those kind of see the, the, to be the sort of big things that when people sort of uh, criticise it, that's what they pull up. But for me, when I rewatched it, I think this film is more actually talking about now than it is actually talking about the 70s in that what Lee is actually saying is that, you know, when they make that joke about, someone like uh, Duke could become president mm. and they're obviously talking about Trump being president and obviously the ending as well. I think he's actually more talking about America now and then by actually talking about something that's happened in the past, he can sort of get away with making that movie without making a film that's basically Trump is a racist, America's racist and all racists, you know, are, you know, this is this happened then it's still happening now and that's what i took more from this rather than kind of <sighs> focusing on the bits that spike lee had slightly added to the narrative um to to do that so it was a different watch the first time i watched it it was like oh my god this is like a true story this really happened mm. crazy and then the second time i watched it because i'd had a look into which bits were the added bits instead of being annoyed about that it made me see it in a different way. I think we, we kind of slightly differ on, on films are made based on true stories. And that if I, if there's, if there's elements, if the main kind of thrust of the story is true, then obviously yeah. embellishment for, for narrative storytelling is, for me, is absolutely fine. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't expect all of this to be. I, I was, I was more of this was true than I thought it was going to be. To be perfectly honest with you, so yeah. I, was like, I really, I really enjoy the fact that uh, when they're all crowded around the telephone, yeah, and uh, Ron Stallworth is like again putting his white voice Speak on and like making Duke. fun, yeah. and yeah, speaking to David Duke, uh, the head of the KKK, and basically saying things like, "Oh, but if you can tell." If I was a, you, you'd be able to tell what a black man sounds like by the way that they talk, wouldn't you, or something like that. And all his like police buddies are just around him, like sniggering away. And reading that that was true, just kind of, yeah. I really took heart from that because I was like, it must have been so hard for him being like the only black police officer in that station. But knowing that people were there supporting him in that really like joyous, hilarious <laughs> way. It's so nice, yeah. Um, and yeah, just really enjoyed that fact. Yeah, I mean, the fact he actually spoke to David Duke on the phone is is like is insane. It's stranger than fiction. Yeah. it's brilliant. It's, it's so, so like it's so crazy that it was true that he actually got his own thing signed by David Duke. His actual he still got yeah, it. Still got it. Yeah. yeah. I think, it, him, I think there's a YouTube clip of the real Bond store with just like showing his card. But I think the yeah the, the comedic elements. I think it's, this film's super important and awesome. Um, and the comedic elements help you to, like, drive you through the film. Uh, John David Watson and uh, Adam Driver are both amazing in this, and they work off each other's, yeah. like, so, so fantastically. And, so good. And I think if the Spike has done, is kind of pulled off a masterstroke and making it engaging, and the comedy's there, but also he's, he's putting, like, there's a, key, a few key points. Like, at the start, it's the, I think it's the end of um, Gone With The Wind, in the middle, you've got um, the, 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 the lynching of uh, Jesse Washington, which is absolutely horrific. And at the end, you've got the, yeah. the Charlottesville. All these kind of points to say, hey, this story was like a while ago, but these things still do happen. And that's yeah. how, he, like, as Helen was saying, that's how he brings it, makes it relevant to now. Um, and having the, the KKK, when they have their swearing in ceremony, watching Birth of the Nation. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like this, this, this still does happen. But it, it, is, it is, I mean... It is a funny film. It is a funny film. It is. I I, I laughed so hard. Like I was. I watched it uh, repeat with my housemate Fiona, and she was so tense throughout the whole thing because it was the first time that she'd watched it. <laughs> and she was like, "Oh my god, I'm so scared. Like I don't know what's going to happen. I can't enjoy the comedy because it's too stressful." Where I was just sat there like giggling away. At I mean, this. this is it. Like you have to bring comedy out of situations like this because. How else are you going to, you know, deal with, like, some of the overt racism that's in there? You've got to draw the humour and kind of go, do you know what? I'm going to rise above it. I'm going to get my revenge whatever way I can. And if that's taking down crazy KKK people, it's taking down crazy KKK people. Or it's, you know, finding the time to laugh with Spike Lee at really insane racism. There's, like, that also comes into, like, real life because... Sometimes if something happens to me that's like, you know, racist, whatever, um, some bigotry in my life and I'll like potentially like text a friend about it or whatever, like I'll get either like a gif from Black Klansman, like with the right white man, you can do anything or like the um, white tears um, gif from like Atlanta. And like it is important to like laugh at these things and just be like, it's it's like oh that person gets what you're talking about and they also get how like rubbish it is um um but you're like the humor kind of like makes it easier to deal with which i think is why it's important to have it like in films like this although i did 
Sorry, I, I was just going to say, and also some of the white characters are so stupid in it that you <laughs> you just can't help laugh at them. Like the clansman's wife, Connie. I was going to talk just, about her. <laughs> I mean, she's just she's so stupid, but also so terrifying as well. Um, that she's one of like two main women in it so um you've got patrice who's obviously you know awesome cool um everything you'd ever want to be and then you've got connie (laughs) (laughs) like the bit where she's like running around and she's not sure what to do and she's panicking and stuff and it's like yeah actually in a situation where you're doing something this dumb you would be running around panicking (laughs) and then you are like kind of she has a bomb at this point everyone (laughs) because you and yes, you're like, oh, I just wanted to like trip up and blow herself up or something. You want yeah. her to like do something stupid yeah. where she blows herself up. Um, in the end, obviously, spoilers. She ends up blowing her husband up, which is like really Hello. funny. And the, yeah. uh, and um, the other the other dumb guys, Ivanhoe, and uh, to yeah. us also Felix as well, is like uh, <gasps> the worst. And <laughs> those kind of face offs with Felix and Flick Flip um, are really terrifying. You can really see they're very yeah. tense, yeah. aren't they? They're quite homoerotic, though. <laughs> <Do you reckon? laughs> like, I was just like, this guy is... I don't know if that was... <laughs> wants to like, suck his due dick. That's what he yeah, wants to yeah, do. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Oh, like, but that's it. Maybe yeah. it's code everything gay, but I was like, this guy has some issues he needs to work out. And I think there's to do with him being secretly gay. That's why he has so much hatred. Just sort that out and he'll be fine. It explains everything. It really does. Let's talk about it in the... The main, the main two guys, uh, John David Washington. Um, how much do you guys know about him before before this? I'd never oh seen God, him I... in a thing, <laughs> and I was so impressed. I was, was so stupid. I was watching it, and I was like, going, "Oh my God, his voice is so familiar!" Like, like just listen to his voice. And I was like, I was like, and then ducked it up. I went, "Oh, that's that's why because he's Denzel." <laughs> do you think he sounds that similar? Yeah, yeah, he... But more importantly, yeah. it's also he's Paul out. Paula Washington, Paulette or Paula Washington's uh, son as well, as he brought up in lots of interviews. He was all like, he, everyone was asking him about the influence of his dad on his acting. And it's like, well, remember, my mom was the breadwinner and always bringing that up. And I really <laughs> respected him when I heard him in interviews as well. So I didn't know anything from his um, his work previously, but now I'm following him. And obviously I've heard he's really great in Tenet. I haven't seen that yet, but I'm very excited about seeing him in that. And then Adam Driver, I mean, I worship In anything. I'd watch him in anything. He's so good. So (laughs) nuanced. Whatever it is, if it's comedy, if it's like, like I'm obsessed with him in a really, really bad rom-com with um, Daniel Radcliffe called What If? Love the man, and that's also on my when list, he was so in that... that's, that's good to hear. It's on my list to watch because I, I will also watch him everything. So that's so a recommendation. Funny. That's bumped that one up for me. Thank you. <laughs> He's so funny. And then when you see him doing dramatic stuff, when you see him being Kylo Ren, I mean, there is nothing Adam Driver can't do, <laughs> um, and he's not Jewish, so he can do. He can literally <laughs> do everything. What's What's interesting to me is that they both. I I saw uh, John David Washington in a TV series called Ballers. Which is like the American football version of um, Sex in the City, or um, what was a male one? Other, um, oh wow! So it's, it's, it, came, it came from Entourage. Yeah. So so he came from <laughs> oh, a God. HBO show, um, a la Michael uh, Adam Driver in Girls. So they're both companies kind of HBO. Show. I'm, I don't know. If, I'm sure he's done more before that, John David Washington. But they've come for these shows where like 
oh, these guys are quite cool-ish. Uh, and in Ballers, he doesn't play that sympathetic a character. And I, I didn't, I genuinely did not know until Black Klansman that he was Denzel Washington's son, which is great because he's forging his own career and he's doing his own thing exactly yeah. what you want. Um, and there's, but I think he's great. I, I, I didn't like him that much in the first season of Ballers, but it gets, it gets better and better. But his character was, is a bit of a tool, so maybe he just plays a, a tool fantastically. Um, but in this, <laughs> he's just, you know, the, the scene where he's outside Colorado Springs and he's got his afro on, he's just like, getting it just oh, so. One of my favorite. Um, he's fantastic and like, as you said Adam Driver everything from I, I loved him in Girls I thought it was, I think even through to the last series of Girls I think it was one of the best things in it through till Marriage Story recently and you know yeah, Kylo Ren he was one of the best things in the recent Star Wars um, let's not go down that route um, but he definitely <laughs> He's he's also awesome and he can he can sing as well. And yeah. Can, oh my god. <laughs> oh yeah. He's, What's he, he singing? He's great. So he sings in Marriage, Marriage Story, Story and he also sings in Inside. Lou um, Davis, which Lewin is a great, which is a great thing as well. He, I love he, that film. He even meows at the cat in 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 Inside. Lou Davis. That gives him my bonus bonus stars for you. Yeah. The cat meows and he goes meow and carries and on with his line. And is it Patterson he was in as well when yeah. he's playing the yes. Marine? Oh, he's just, yeah, he's so talented. He's just turned into Adam Driver's dad. <laughs> <laughs> but then my favourite um, scene in this film with John David Washington is the scene where he's being interviewed at the beginning and it's like the two of them, it's the black guy and it's the police chief and they're like, so, and the police chief's kind of, Pussy footing around it, going and how how would you feel if someone called you a racial slur? And then the other guy's just like, if someone calls you, and he's like straight <laughs> into it, and he's like, I would have a very severe problem with that, but I'd keep my cool. And I'm just like, <laughs> he's so measured, and I love that he's like, yeah, clearly getting agitated, clearly like I would not really want to have to take it, but. I'm used to it. I'm a black man. I'm used to sucking this stuff up. And he conveyed all of that in like this one mm. scene that he's one used to sucking up and face. taking it. He wouldn't be pleased if someone had called it. He wouldn't be pleased if one of his colleagues would was racist towards him. But he managed to convey all of that with, no, sir, I'd be fine. I'd, I'd just do my job. And I was like, I, I, I thought it was so great. It was such a wonderful That was a bit of uh, Isaiah Whitlock Jr. stunt casting from, from The Wire. And he gets his uh, theme, he gets his she in there at the start of that scene. Um, guys, you want to talk about any particular scenes before we go to the scores? I mean, I'd talk about the whole thing. But uh, <laughs> in, in regards to what has always been happening in the world, but what has been shown more and more on like videos online. Um, the scene at the end mm. where Ron is like, I'm a police officer and they don't believe that he's a yeah. police officer and the police immediately go and try and arrest him, Ron for a crime that was committed by the racist woman whose name I forget. <laughs> Connie. I think it's. I just think. I think my brain is refusing to remember her name. I watched it so many times. <laughs> and it's like no, no. Uh, Ron has got her on the ground because she has a bomb, and the police come, and they don't believe that she just shouts that he's trying to attack her, that he's trying to rape her, and the police. Even before she shouts, that the police are running towards him. Yeah. They beat him. They cuff him, and then it's only when. Flip Adam Driver's character comes and like pulls them off him and says he's a police officer. That's the only time they actually listen, mm. and I think that's really relevant even now. Um, and that's probably why it was added to the, to the narrative to the story to the script. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
that was ex- exactly what I was going yeah. to talk about, and that um, basically her first instinct is to he's raping me, arrest that man, and it's you know this is Spike Lee saying you know this is happening, like you cannot ignore it, and there's there's other like bits in it that. Um, so just like slipped in there like uh, cops have been shooting black people in the back like all the time then they're still doing it now like the there's comedy in there but there's so many Poignant. like real shocking yeah. moments in there that again watching it the second time round <laughs> this is this is spike lee saying this shit is happening it happened then it's still happening now what are you going to do about it and i think I think we kind of forget the kind of importance and the body of work that Spike Lee's done. And for this film, it was his first director nomination. And this guy has been making film like longer than I've been alive, I think, (laughs) just about, well, as as long as I can remember. And it's his first nomination. And he's made some fucking amazing films. And yet this is his first nomination. And it's just, that's how little things have progressed in 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 our times okay esther sorry you had a point to make about the white police officer um i should just say esther might be a bit quieter than she was at the first half of the episode but let's go with it esther yes so excuse my technical issues um i just wanted to say yeah my scene that i really found really powerful was both the scene where patrice was being harassed by the white police early on in the film after the um stokely carmichael lecture and then later on when they get their sort of sense of resolution about it when they managed to get the guy on tape admitting that he thought he could do anything as a police officer and it was basically his right to do whatever he liked to anyone he wanted um so those two scenes i thought they were really powerful because that feeling of being you know kind of harassed by the police and not knowing what they might want to do to you but also the fact that they were able in the film which probably isn't realistic and didn't happen in real life and have that resolution of having Hmm. at least one racist officer and corrupt officer getting his comeuppance I felt like that was a really nice thing that was in the film and that made me feel really kind of upbeat about how they resolved it in the that made me sad it had the complete opposite effect on me well, because it doesn't happen that way or we don't think it, it doesn't that happen way. that way. Yeah. I was like, this is how you know it's a film. Because, <laughs> because this is needs... Inception. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there needs to be a resolution for a film to be tied up nicely with a bow. Mm. Um, and there was, but that's not how it happens in real life. Yeah, I, I kind of see that as almost like a fantasy scene. It's like, this is, this is how it could happen. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that's what we have. That's what we hear about with the the cops in America. That it's it's super hard to, um, for them to get a kicked off the force or even put in prison for things that they do. Whether it's at, you know, specifically at, at people in generally, but if they if they do anything illegal when they're wearing the badge, then it's it's almost fine. Uh, they're above the law, yeah, which is no not the case. Yeah, and also the fact that they needed, like I know I joked earlier, I said with the right white man you could do anything the fact that they needed the white police officers there to be the the witnesses of everything that happened is also like really telling like people could say oh it's because they were you know the chief or whatever but it's still the same situation it's very rarely that people of color are believed even in these situations so maybe with this 
being something that Lee added to the story. This is him saying, you know, look, guys, do this. This could be mm. a way that you start sorting shit out. Maybe he's just going, you know, it's not that just hard. Thought, or yeah. like, you know, this is how it's People. done. Yeah, maybe I don't know, but it's if only if only life was like that and it was that easy. I have a Indeed. question. Do you guys think it was harder for white people to watch or people of colour to watch? I think it's, it's has... Or for different reasons, hard for different Yeah, reasons. different reasons. It's different yeah. differences of, uh, like, of different difficulties watching it or different resonances, I should yeah. say, that's with that as well. I guess what I'm looking for is... What I, what I think I'm trying to say is, like, do you think it was more shocking? Because there's a lot in there that I expected. And I think some people who watched it in the cinema were like gasping or very like shaken when they came out, um, which is good. It's the effect that it should have. Mm. Um, but I think for a lot of people who maybe hadn't thought about how brutality and institutional racism still affects us today and thinks it's maybe something that, that is in the past, like kind of got shaken awake a little bit. Um, hopefully, anyway. And hopefully it wasn't too traumatic of a way for it to happen. Before we head to the scores, let's just talk about the the, the, the very, very ending of it, um, which is we see the, the Charlottesville um, marches and then the outcry against that and then the the, the, the the car running into all those people. And, and when I first saw it at the film, I haven't seen it two times, when I first saw it, I was like, Spike, that's a bit unfair, mate, come on. But then I was like, no, we, that that needs to be there to show that this stuff is still happening. It's still because it wasn't obviously the narrative of the film, so it didn't it didn't need to be in the narrative of it didn't need to be in the film itself. That's why I was a bit like, come on, dude. But it's it's such a powerful way to end it, and I think you know he's wholly justified in doing that. So what what are your thoughts on? I think people on... should be shocked and traumatized and upset by watching it because okay, oh, yeah, it's a true, there it's a true story. And, you know, this fictionalizations, but you know like what the fuck america i know <laughs> i know the uk is an innocent but honestly the the thought of america right now is just terrifying and you know trump is a racist and he's just the worst human being and let alone the worst human being to be put as a leader of america how just how did we get into a state where Donald Trump is the president of America, where someone is allowed a platform and a power with those kind of views? It's just like, and people say, oh, you can't be political. You can't do that. It's like, you know, fuck Trump. Like, I just feel powerless being over here. I think the point of the film is that there is white supremacy in the White House and interweaving that into the current narrative is absolutely vital because, and he does it again with the narrative at the end of um, The Five Blood. So not talking about the film as a whole, but he's again interwoven footage of now into the end of that because nothing's changed. That narrative is still there. Um, so I do think it's really, really important that that's a part of the film, even though it's a histor- talking about a historical moment, because the effects of that historical moment haven't passed. Right, let's head to the scores, guys. 
Hello, I'm Sam Pei. And I'm Martin Zolt-Sorstwick. And we are the two hosts of a podcast called Song, Song by, by Song, Song, where we listen every week to a track by the musical artist Tom Waits. Uh, you might know him for his gravelly voice. <coughs> very nice. His appearance in films, but also his multi-decade spanning career uh, involving blues, jazz, and all sorts of other kinds of experimental music. So we're basically like a book club for Tom Waits. And if that sounds like your cup of tea, you can find us at songbysongpodcast.com or wherever you get podcasts. All of these scores are out of five. You may have decimal places if you wish. And we will start with uh, you, Jazz, because you picked it with your recommendability, please. Um, I think it would depend on the person to like make sure they're not a racist that maybe don't want that person watching it but um five esther i'm gonna go with 4.8 because 4.8 uh normally i don't actually agree with decibels but um (laughs) what what are you marginalizing decibels for uh, i just think make a decision and stick with it um so i'm going with 4.8 though because I think there's some people who don't need to watch it because they know this story. So um, for the 0.2% of people for whom this is, you know, nothing new or might be re-traumatising for them, that's the 0.2. But anyone else, absolutely highly recommended. Helen? Yeah, so I was a bit conflicted about what to give because I think everyone should see it. But actually now hearing you, Esther, saying that people... um, who this is like a real lived in experience and you know they see it every day maybe they don't want to see it as form of entertainment but i also think that racists should see it and you know it might make them change their views if it does that then that's a good thing so um i'm going at 4.9 i'm going at 4.5 i think it's uh, an excellent film and it is um more accessible than you think it is and it tells a harder and more hard-hitting story than i think it is um and i think some people just be like oh i don't want to watch that um for a variety of different reasons whether it's lived in experience or they feel it's gonna be tougher um then that's their own prerogative but yeah 4.5 repeat viewing score jazz you've seen it the most Um, and again, nothing wrong with that. I'm trying not to give it five for everything. <laughs> you can give it five for everything um, if you want. It's like completely your choice. No, think about it before because um, I wouldn't want to watch it on a day where I was already seeing a lot of that uh, in the news. Like I, I can watch it in pretty much any mood, but sometimes it might just make things a little bit worse. So four. Esther. Oh, I'm going to go four as well, because I actually genuinely didn't think I was ever going to like watch it again. And then I actually did get quite a lot of reviewing it. And um, yeah, I think I should be bringing it to more people and watching it with more people. Um, But I can see why, you know, once you've seen it, you don't feel the need to watch it again. Helen? Uh, Yeah, so I think having seen it the first time coming to it, for the second time I think I was a bit more relaxed watching it and less sort of tense about not knowing what was going to happen and I think the second time around I could enjoy the comedic moments a bit more um 
so I definitely think it's a film that you can get a lot out of from watching again and um it's really happy that you you picked it um because I saw it popped up and I was like oh this popped up and then uh, it's like choice oh reason to watch it so um I'm gonna go probably a four again four in the four club i'm gonna have 4.1 here i think is it's just I don't, to beat us just to just be slightly higher than us yeah but the repeat recommendability was lower so you know um <laughs> so repeating score for me yeah 4.1 i think i wasn't expecting it like i still don't think i was planning to watch it again at least anytime soon um i think sometimes films with a with a moral are harder to go back in there wherever the moral is or where it's based on but it's i think like i said at the start with with spike how he's kind of balanced the entertainment factor and the story in it i think is a is one of the was one of the best parts of it one of the best things about this film um like with, we've talked about tyrannosaur a, a couple of times helen and that's a film where i can't think of any kind of reason to maybe watch it again um but this is some, certainly something. This is certainly a film where someone said, "Let's watch it again." And be like, "Actually, yeah, it'll be fine. Let's do it. Let's do it." Small screen score, Jazz. Four point five. You saw this in cinema, right? And at home, yeah. Yeah, but well, you you thought the the is perfectly fine for being at home. I mean, it might be better for some people to watch at home so they can actually start having conversations about things that happen in it. Esther. I was also going to go 4.5. I thought it was amazing on the big screen and I do think that is the absolutely the best experience. I don't think it lost that much, though, by watching it on my TV at home. Helen? Um, I'm also going to go with 4.5 and Esther's just said everything I was going to say, so I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a 4.5 loving all together. Um, yeah! <laughs> Jas, engagement score? Five. <laughs> it's hard not to talk about it it's hard not to talk about it after you've seen it while you're watching it it's hard not to watch it and then watch it with a friend and just stare at them while they get while they're in shock the whole time um and just generally spike lee and the way that he um engaged like massive audiences in general and how on a smaller scale you, it creates engagement between people watching it Esther? I hate just agreeing with Jas, but then I'm going to have to do it. I'm giving it a five because I have talked about it a lot since it's come out. And, you know, I've been talked consistently over the years. Do you know what I mean? Um, it's always, It continues to be relevant. Um, and the way it's told, it's a really engaging story. So, yeah, five. Helen? Yeah, so I'm also going to give it a five. Um, you know, this, this is made in it came out in 2018 and it's still relevant and it was made about a story from the 70s but it's still relevant and it's interesting what you were saying jazz that um this is uh, lee's second most commercially successful film um which is really interesting um compared to sort of obviously his other work which has probably gone under the radar so the fact that now spike lee is mainstream i think is really great there's a lot of people who it would have been their first film of his that they've seen. So hopefully they'll go back and watch his ones. Yeah, I'm going to go five as well. I think it's once you start watching it, you're in it all the way through and, it's, and it deserves your attention. Um, so that gives us an overall score of 4.58125, which is massive. Well, yeah, pretty good. it's a big score. Is it winning? Does it win? Is it winning? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. 
<laughs> it doesn't win. It doesn't win everything, but it's great. You know, you know, take that away from it. Okay, yeah. So just as a reminder to everyone listening now, do follow us at FlixWatcherPod because we do, well, mainly because we do uh, let people know before we go into recording and ask for shout outs and reviews. So in this case, the tweet was, we're reviewing Black Klansman with She Geek Beham and the Jazz K... Tetty. Tetty uh, <laughs> from Wellspoken Tees. Have you seen it? Gives your thoughts and a score out of five stars for a shout out on FlixWatcher. Uh, we had a fair few responses from this one. Um, Jazz, can you see the Twitter, the tweets? Yes, I can. can. Do you want to read out uh, the yeah. first one that you can see on your list? Uh, Pop Cannon said, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Job well done all round. John David Washington and Adam Driver are fantastic throughout. So they agreed with what we said earlier. Also, love Topher Grace's David Duke. Yep. He really helped prove the kind of ghastly evil can just, just be anybody. Solid 4.5 stars. Nice. Esther? Yeah, um, so we've got quite a few. Um, 4.5 stars from Movie Reviews in 20 Questions podcast. 4.5 stars, solid flick from start to finish. Totally dug the camaraderie between Washington and Driver. The ending is one hell of a gut punch. Can't disagree with that. Yeah. yeah. Helen? Um, And last one is from Steve E-I-L-F-M podcast. Everything I Learned from Film podcast. Five stars. Great flick with great performances and a real sense of not knowing what's going to happen. Excellent. Well, guys, can you, Esther and Jasky, sign off by telling us where we can find you online and where to find your podcast? And then we'll say bye to everyone listening. Yeah, sure. So you can find our podcast on at well underscore spoken underscore tease. That's our Twitter handle. And our podcast is called Well Spoken Tokens. Uh, you can find it on Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and Esther, do you want to say where everyone can find you? So I'm at SheGeekBeham on Twitter and on Instagram. Um, I mainly just treat, tweet about culture, often nerdy stuff, um, <laughs> intersectional feminism, uh, and what films I'm watching. <laughs> <laughs> A nice mix back there. Well, yeah. thank you very much for joining us, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks Thank for you coming so much on. For us. Bye. 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 Enjoyed this episode of Podcast? Why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at Pod on Twitter and we're at Flixwatcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Ben and that's Rockwood, R-O-K-K Wood Audio. Tell them Flixwatcher sent you. You just heard a stripped media production.